Glocal, podcast on locally incubated global technology powerhouses. Medi-topia should be like a safe zone in this hectic environment. Fatih and the team built Meditopia with its social impact in mind. Everyone has mental issues, big or small, and most of us do not have the companion that will ease our way to a better state of mind. Meditopia is trying to bridge that gap for all around the globe. The team believes this approach will not make them only a 21st century company, but a 22nd century must-have. In this episode, Fatih gives insights on team culture, building an intimate and personalized app experience, region-specific localization efforts, and the next steps for Meditopia. I promise you this is a good one. So hey Fatih, how are you? Hello Enis, I am very well, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty great as well. I was just in Slovenia last night. I just came back to Istanbul um, in the middle of the night. Uh, welcome back. But uh, your face is not sleepy. So uh, if you didn't say to me, I wouldn't understand that you had this trouble. I, I slept so well. Slovenia, I guess I was in Maribor. So it's a really tiny city and it's all green with a lot of oxygen. So I slept really well and I woke up at like 7 a.m. every morning. It was good. Not the case in Istanbul. Mm, very meditative experience for you then. It was a really meditative experience. Speaking of meditation, can you tell us what Meditopia does? When did you start the business? We are a young startup. We began to our journey uh, almost two years ago. And uh, we began for a reason. The reason was that we saw there is a huge global mental health crisis all around the world. Billions of people are suffering from either stress, insomnia, those hard times going to sleep, uh, anxiety, hard times to focus, concentrate, etc. The list is unfortunately is very, very long. And that big problem uh, had made us feel that we have to intervene into that problem. Because as three co-founders, I have two great partners uh, in this path, Berk and Ali Murat. Uh, as three co-founders, we deeply believe that people can overcome uh, those mental burdens. And the world, as a, as a huge society, can overcome uh, that psychological crisis within itself. With that deep belief, uh, we started our journey almost two years ago. And uh, Meditopia had born to help people overcome their daily mental burdens. And how is it going so far? Can you give us some figures about your traction that can be number of users, number of active users, um, of course, revenue, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to disclose that. Anything that you can provide? In the future, uh, what we want to pursue is to disclose almost every detail what we have uh, to the public. It's a discipline for you, first of all, as a team. So in the future, I, uh, I hope I can give also more, many, many more details. There was a trend like that, like a lot of enterprise SaaS companies started using bare metrics and made their data available publicly. This was, this was I guess, two years ago, but then it stopped for some reason. I hope it gets birth again you know i agree with you hopefully it will born again because you know it's it's a very fruitful thing plus it's it gives a trust between it's it builds a trust between you and the public and most importantly your uh, most important stakeholder is your team so you have that bond between your team today uh, we have more than uh, three and a half million members all around the world almost four million members and we reached to this number uh, in two years uh, we are active in more than 50 countries all around the world. And we are in seven languages. We released our Russian version. So we are in uh, Turkish, English, Spanish, Portuguese, 
uh, German, French and Russian. Our uh, Japanese and Korean versions are also in the pipeline. At least 1.2 million meditation sessions are completed in a month uh, in Meditopia. So this is a unique number for us, at least 1.2 million sessions. So a session is approximately 10 minutes, uh, which means so many minutes yeah that's even months yes exactly so that means uh, we provide many many personal areas personal spaces to millions of people all around the world i guess the obvious question is um you have two really large competitors uh, which raised more than i guess 100 million each uh, being calm and headspace but you initially targeted regions that they were not present in or they weren't pushing hard on and was that a conscious decision? And how will you differentiate further as you clash in different regions? Uh, it is a very significant question for us. First of all, uh, I would like to underline the fact that both Headspace and Calm, they are great companies, which we deeply respect. But basically, they established the field itself. So uh, they are great companies, great team culture. We know a couple of people in their teams. And uh, we know that they are trying to make something uh, both in financial manners and humanistic manners, so, which is also important. If you want to become not 21st century's company, but to uh, become 22nd century's company, you have to have that financial impact and humanistic impact hand-to-hand. When you said 22nd century, I got the chills. Seeing your passion... And understanding your vision behind the product uh, gave me chills and made me excited. Thanks, even. thanks. So I can understand how you were able to build such a great team. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, yeah, so those uh, also two companies are very important companies, not for our field of concentration, but also all over the world. So in addition to that, we started this business by making localization our backbone. That was our decision, not penetrating first to non-English speaking markets. But the decision was because emotions, because psychology, is a very intimate topic that area is a very personal area you know you have that 10 minutes before maybe you go to bed or you have that 10 minutes you after you wake up you know that's a very intimate area we have to localize what we do any should listen to a content and it should reach to a service which has his own culture in it because he has to resonate to that content, to that service. Uh, that was our initial goal. And that's why we started with Turkey, because it was our own markets, it was our own uh, language, and because we had the ability to find the right therapists, right, right mindfulness teachers uh, within this culture. And when we became successful in Turkish language, then we said, okay, let's localize uh, our approach to other uh, countries. That's why we penetrated to other non-English speaking markets. And uh, right now, it's also our newest phase. We saw that now also English speaking countries need to have our own approach. So right now we are in phase of differentiating our approach, serving something different rather than our big competitors in this field. And it is worth to mention that the overall sector, uh, the market is huge because Unfortunately, I don't know anyone else who doesn't suffer from uh, some kind of a mental burden. We all do. You do. I do. Everyone else. And that's why we are so passionate as the team to build something which we also want to use our very own. You know, mm-hmm. And so the market is growing a lot. We are differentiating ourselves. We are not becoming only a meditation app, a localized meditation app, but we are becoming a daily mental companion within our new verticals in the platform. So yes, we will always pursue our localization efforts, but then now uh, we will also enter to English speaking markets in the near future.
I'm going to ask you some questions about becoming a mental companion in the future. But what, what I want to ask you first is, um, as you localize language and as you localize culture, how does it change the product? And can you give us some concrete examples of how you localized to some certain country, both in terms of language and culture, and how this made it more intimate for them, um, understanding the culture and what that um, people in that culture goes through throughout the day? In its localization is a 360 degrees journey, actually. Because when you have the product, which you think uh, you localized, first you have to reach to uh, someone. Let's say, let's take Brazil as a use case, okay? In Brazil, you have to find Brazilian, real Brazilian people, and you have to tell them what you do. First phase is, of course, the engagement. You have to engage with potential members, potential customers, within a very localized manner. You have, that person has to resonate uh, within your growth efforts. That's the first part. And second part, when you acquire those people, you have to make them happy, to make them feel that they are in some kind of a Brazilian product itself. So the content and product itself should be localized also. And then the last part within this 360 degrees journey is that uh, your members should also uh, sometimes deepen their experiences. Your, your support services, your additional services should always uh, resonate to your member. If they ask some questions to you, you have to answer them by understanding them and someone within their own culture also help them in order to deepen their experience. So this is an overall journey. Uh, so uh, what we do in order to localize our product and service is that we always find strong local partners. This is a must. Yes, this is a digitalized world. Yes, you can have your laptop, you can have your metrics like financials, okay, everything, uh, your, your, uh, your summaries, etc. But You have to be in the field, okay? That's that's crucial. You have to feel what's going on in, for example, Sao Paulo. That's why uh, we invest heavily as time, as, as other resources, to find right local partners in real life. We find right therapist partners. We find right uh, teachers, mindfulness teachers. Uh, we call member happiness to our customer support division. That's why we find right member happiness uh, partners in that region to help deepen the Meditopian experience. That's the backbone of our localization effort. We integrate them into our team. Also being born in Istanbul was also a head start for us because we see that Turkish entrepreneurs and Turkish people can work uh, easily with different cultures. That was also uh, one of the cornerstones of our hiring processes. That was an interesting insight. So you're saying that Turkish people are actually culturally adaptive and can work with an Indonesian, a Brazilian, and a European simultaneously at the same time understanding their culture. Exactly. Trying to make sense, basically, in a way that it will resonate with them. Exactly, because we are emotional people. Because of being an emotional human being, we have this uh, sense of empathy. That is, I think, a, a must if you want to build a bridge between two human beings. And we saw that our people can work successfully work close and side by side with other people from different nationalities. So uh, our team had shown the success to integrate different people from different different uh, countries into the core team. Uh, so that was the uh, the kickstart point of our localization efforts. Um, last question on Calm and Headspace. Did you guys ever clash with each other in any region or any country? And would you be threatened to do so? We know that they're expanding also to new languages, which is a perfect thing. And we also looking forward to that because people need to have some choices 
uh, within different approaches. Uh, so uh, now both Calm and Headspace are penetrating into new languages, and a use case was uh, was uh, can be given Mexico. Uh, in Latin America, uh, Colm also has its uh, Spanish version. We are always head-to-head there, and uh, and Mexican people are gaining from that. I mean, that should be impacting your unit economics on both sides, increasing CAC and then, of course, decreasing LTV because of the price competition, I guess. It has, of course, impacts both positive and negative from time to time, because when you, and you provide an experience to someone that's uh, a member of yours, and that same member goes to another approach, tries the other approach, but then understand that, okay, my approach is the Meditopian approach, then comes back, and, and that's a positive thing. And of course, competition has also uh, some financial difficulties all the time. But, you know, this is life. You have to do always better. And we are wel- welcoming competition all around the world. What's the entry barrier for a new player to emerge? Let's go from your example of Mexico. For a Mexican person to start an app like Meditopia, uh, what would be the entry barrier? And given that this is a high turnover business, I guess a lot of the consumer subscription businesses, especially if it's mobile, have um, low lifetime, high churn, which means you have to reacquire customers over and over again. Um, would that impact you if a Mexican competitor or an Indonesian competitor or a Japanese competitor enters the market? With much, I mean, with much smaller budgets, but then better localization than what you guys can do. In almost every significant market which we entered and localized our product, we had uh, a local competitor before we entered. From our perspective, that was a positive sign for us. So there is a market. There are people who are willingness to pay uh, that service. That was a good sign for us. And we always surpassed them. In the clash, uh, always, like, of course, end user always gain, but then we always surpassed them. Uh, the, the barrier is, uh, I think, the combination of the team the right combination of the team. We are doing emotion business, okay? We are providing something uh, for your emotions and for your overall daily mental journey. So to provide that intimate thing to you, first, of course, you have to have a good technology. Your product should be strong, first of all. Your team should be strong in technology manners. Second of all, your service, your content uh, should be strong. Uh, you have to have right partners, right therapy partners in the team. And third of all, uh, your marketing, your growth efforts are crucial. Because of the low entry barrier, an app can always born, can always come to the market. And that means you have to be highly effective in your marketing efforts. You cannot only rely on paid marketing. You also have to have an approach which your product team and growth team always goes hand in hand, work together so that your product can uh, can spread itself virally. That's crucial. What we see is that in a mobile subscription area, the product team and the growth team they should marry. You know, they should they should love love each other. They should have interconnections. They should have always uh, sustainable conversations within themselves, and they should always act fast and try new things. Because you cannot only pay to acquire some people. Your product should be spread. All around the world. For example, if you enter your Twitter feed now and if you write Meditopia to your search field, you can see that many, especially from Latin America, many, many of Latham users, members, uh, shared their our, our some screenshots, our uh, push notifications and etc. So that's important. So the secret sauce is team. I think the biggest insight there was that the product and the marketing team should be combined and should be hand-to-hand just so that it would fuel organic growth. And after a certain while, your customer acquisition will go lower and lower because of organic growth, because of word of mouth. 
uh, not because you can acquire customers digitally in a cost-effective manner because after all once you go to a million users like what you guys just did uh, you're not just getting early adapters you have to get um, the late adapters or the laggards and to do that you need organic growth viral growth exactly and uh, it also should resonate in the leadership team for example we are three co-founders as i previously mentioned we have back ali murat and me so we uh, didn't separate the growth and product responsibilities to two but we combined them under back so back is for example as one single co-founder he's both responsible for product and growth itself so that every effort can be taken into consideration uh, within the two within the two fields that's also crucial that was also something i was going to ask i mean all of you guys uh, three of you Berk, alimurat and yourself you're all really well educated and Berk comes from a corporate background and he's done mostly sales and business development alimurat is also not technical but he has a really strong startup background um, and you guys i guess were even together in your period startup a couple of years ago um, but you're also non-technical so i see a lot of overlapping skills between the three of you what were some of the skills that you guys were lacking as a team and how did you overcome that? As you said, Ali Murat is, is fully responsible from the tech team. He is a very street smart person. He did codings of many fintech, especially in fintech payment startups in Turkey. He has a lot of experiences there. Both of them, actually, I feel always very lucky to be a part of that team. Uh, both of them always teaches me a lot. And, uh, you know, that's also one of the reasons why me personally feel blessed why I do what I do and be a part of this team. Uh, so yeah, Ali is responsible from the tech team, back as mentioned, product and growth, me, uh, business development, finance, and the team, team growth itself. So yes, there are some overlapping points, of course, but the division is also very bold and strict. For example, Ali is responsible from the development side and back do not code uh, himself in the product. But of course, Ali's development team and Berg's product team always connects. And from my side, I am in more outside, let's say. And I, I try to business develop and have new opportunities uh, for the team and create new opportunities for the team. I always uh, feed myself uh, from them. So that is the thing. But what we lack was uh, growth. We are always a product-oriented team. We always try to have best investors, best team. And the best product, yes, you can team up with all of them, every source, yes, but you have to serve the food. You have to make people know that, okay, there is this pasta and eat that pasta. People can't be aware of that pasta if you don't tell them. So that was the main thing which we lacked. And here comes hiring. You have to hire people better than you. And you have to also make the company their company. So we have our own special stock option plan, which we give a team member if they work more than 12 months. That's crucial for us. A hiring is one of the secret sources. Um, you also said mental companion. And I mean, as now you guys have 3.5 million users, a bunch of data, 1.2 million sessions per month. That means you have a lot of intimate personal data about your users. And what you want to do, I guess, is to grow more vertical. So that not only give meditation, but also become a mental companion, almost rehabilitate someone. How are you going to accomplish that? Uh, what's your product roadmap there? How much data you need to be able to personalize the content, not only localized, but also personalized for that user? And what happens to privacy, GDPR, personal data? Is that a concern for you guys? Of course, it's a new agenda item in our daily schedules. But before GDPR was born, you know, even when we didn't have that kind of a data, we were always oriented and careful about data itself. We should always focus on the privacy of, and comfortability of our members. Meditopia should be like a safe zone in this 
hectic environment. So that's why you have to provide that safe zone. So that's that's uh, first thing should be underlined from myself. And on top of that, if you can really intervene into this ongoing psychological crisis, you should personalize your service. Yes, we have a lot of uh, data which we can understand. We can provide a better experience to our members because a lot of content is uh, already in the pool. But, uh, for example, in the Netflix, you have a lot of options. But uh, maybe someone has to pick your hands and guide you. That's the same thing in our case. My sources of stress and yours differs. So maybe you should see something different in Meditopia, in your case and in my case. Because we uh, closed our uh, newest investment round, we will heavily invest in how can we differentiate the product for Ennis and Fatih. That's the first thing. And second of all, the, the, in, in Meditopia, if you want to be activated now, you have to complete a mindfulness session, which is approximately 10 minutes. So, yes, if you complete those sessions, you can resolve many things in your life. But sometimes your expectation maybe is not about solving or resolving something. Sometimes maybe you need only relax a bit. Sometimes you need to go to sleep faster. You maybe need to transcend yourself. Sometimes you need to go further to your potential. Being a daily companion means to provide all of them in a single platform, in a simplistic way. We will pursue that. In a very short amount of time, you will not only reach something when you need to resolve something, but you will reach additional services and solutions within your different expectations. That was one of the best answers I got so far, I guess. Uh, not in this episode, but overall in, the, in this podcast. One of the things that you said was how crucial fundraising was so that now you can actually push the product vision um, towards more personalization uh, for the user at the end. And uh, you did your first round in Turkey. Turkey sucks in terms of fundraising. Now your second round, um, you're mostly fundraising from Germany. And how was that process, first of all? And secondly, your team is mostly in Turkey. And I guess some portion of your revenue is still in Turkey. Was that a problem as you tried to raise from German sources? What percent of your revenue is international, by the way? Right now, almost 95% is international. Oh, perfect. So the revenue is from international sources, but the team is in Turkey. Was that a problem for German VCs to invest? Uh, actually, no. It was an advantage because uh, having a Turkish office means that you have great talent with less costs. It's important. You know, uh, because of also the, the changes in economy right now, which uh, I really don't like the changes in economy right now. Things should be better and better all the time for all of us. But now uh, the costs are uh, decreasing if you look at from the German VC or a US-based VC perspective. So that was an advantage for us. But of course, if you want to be a global company, you should also have presence in different geographies, in different regions. So Berlin was an important hub for us to open our second office because, first of all, Germany had a success story in, in mobile subscription businesses. They have great companies. For example, Rantastic uh, is a German company. Blinkist is a German company. They're also in Berlin. So Germany's track record in, in mobile app business is strong. So that's why there are both VCs and talents who want to join into that story. So that's why we said, okay, if we have another presence in, uh, in other European location, Let's pick Berlin. Our focus was to have a growth team. Let's set our growth team in Berlin and then let's move on 
to our next phase. In fundraising perspective, of course, like we had two uh, fundraisings in Turkey, then third one is an international fundraising. We didn't still disclose the details, but we will in a short amount of time. What was different was, of course, valuations are different. Time prospects, uh, the reply times, the end result, the decision-making process, they are all faster. Of course, in Turkey, there are many good examples who really sets the benchmark into a higher case. You yourself, for example. Oh, thank you. Uh, we also had those discussions with you and you were always very fast. Germany isn't the best. Still, I mean, Turkey is so bad that Germany is, of course, way better than Turkey. Uh, Germany is still, I guess, not like US, but Turkey is a way different league. So anything other than Turkey is better than Turkey. U.S. is, as you said, which you have a deeper experience than me, of course, as a different case. Germany is, yes, now ahead of Turkey. Uh, things are simpler and faster. And because, because you can reach also many international VCs in Berlin itself. In Berlin became a hub. Personally, I deeply believe in Turkey. Uh, we have many things to do and we can do and we will do. I'm sure of it. And in the future, uh, if we have the chance and resources, we will definitely uh, try to also widen Turkish startup ecosystem and, and investment ecosystem more. This is a journey. If you become a successful startup, then you should invest and give back. So that's the thing. As a team, as three co-founders, we deeply believe in, in Turkey. And hopefully, if we reach to our targets, uh, we will give back a lot. So Turkey will continue to be your technical office. You're going to continue to hire technical people in Turkey. But given the lack of skill sets, I guess, in Turkey or in Istanbul for especially marketing, you're building your marketing team in Berlin now. How hard will it be to sustain the culture in two offices? Is that a concern for you? And will it be your job to do it's that? It's one of my priorities now. Yes, it's, it's a challenge for us. We managed to build a great culture here. So we have that same culture in Berlin. Uh, that's a challenge. Uh, we are totally aware of that fact. And it's, yes, one of my priorities in, in the near future, which I should do. Also, of course, three co-founders should also be always present from time to time in Berlin. The skill set about Turkey and Germany is that we hope that we would be able to find many international talents in Istanbul. But people are leaving now, which is not good. But now... It, it was hard for us easily and fastly find international talents in Istanbul. It was also one of the main because if you want to do your marketing efforts in 50 countries, you have to have a lot of international talents. It was not an easy process for us to do that in Istanbul, to find those talents in Istanbul. That's why Berlin was the easiest. Uh, many international people are living there, so you can you know, yeah. easily find. Uh, all the time, we should work and focus on uh, culture. Uh, and integrate board offices. I can see that culture is your top priority on your agenda, actually. It's been like that for maybe more than a year now. My last question will be on acquisition. Of course, an obvious option is uh, Headspace or Calm coming and buying you out. Putting that aside, what's critical about Meditopia? What would it make a company buy Meditopia? Is it the data? Is it the user base? Is it the user acquisition channels? Is it the brand building that you've been doing over the past couple of years? And who are the likely acquirers except for Calm and Headspace? Yeah, so uh, before that, I'd also like to add that we will hire a lot, especially in Istanbul. So if uh, people are listening to us, and I'm sure you have a great community, I'm one of them. Uh, it's, Bill, it's coming up. We'll see. Ask me in a year. I'm optimistic. I'm sure you're more than <laughs> me. You're more optimistic than me. So if we have some listeners... Uh, we are totally open to uh, new new talents, especially in our Istanbul office. So people can reach me for my email, LinkedIn, everywhere, Twitter. Uh, so that's an important note uh, about your question. So the first of all, our 
one of the foundation principles of Meditopia is to act and to decide not only considering any potential acquisition, but the sustainability of the company itself. Because now there is a trend that high growth startups burn a lot of money and then, you know, have only single option, fundraising, 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 and then acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. Uh, we have a different approach. We are a very high growth startup. We have uh, great investors now, already had new, new also investors came, but we pursue a path which we want to hold our options in our hands. We want to decide our own future by ourselves. This is important for us. We always want to be independent company uh, with a lot of options in front of itself. So uh, that's why we don't uh, act and decide uh, our strategy upon uh, how can we be acquired by X and by Y. On top of that, you know, that's always uh, one of the conversation topics in entrepreneurial circles. We are very focused in B2C area. You will see in a very short amount of time a lot of new verticals in the platform, new type of services and contents. We also have other plans, additional plans in B2B area, in partnerships. Uh, for example, now we're in Turkish Airlines. You can reach to our uh, solutions in every flight. Yeah, I just saw it yesterday, yeah. If you want to sleep better in the, in the flight... You can reach to our service. So we saw how much value we had been able to create with those partnerships. So we saw that Meditopia can be a solution in B2B area. So our potential, not acquirers, let's say, but stakeholders, let's say, let's say partners, can also be from B2B areas itself also. So anything that touches with a lot of people should be some sort of in your value chain. You should be able to grab those stakeholders within Meditopia either as partners, as acquirers, as B2B partnerships in terms of resellers, uh, whatever that may be. Exactly, Ines, exactly. Because, you know, if you recall Tim Cook's speech, he stated that Apple will not be remembered as only a telephone company, a hardware company. It will also be remembered as a health and fitness tech company. So the world is changing. Expectations are changing. Uh, life is becoming longer and longer. You know, longevity and aging is one of the crucial facts in our life. So uh, the, the expected services are changing in our lives. That's why we have a lot of potentials. And maybe we are looking into the mirror now and uh, we see ourselves as a br- brunette. But two years later, maybe we will become a blonde. Well, thanks for joining the podcast. And let's be in touch to see where things are in a year. Thank you very much for your kind invitation and uh, best of luck with uh, Glocal. This was one of the best episodes, if not the best, uh, where we learned about team culture, growth methodologies, regional expansion strategies, clashing with giants, and even some fundraising tactics. So I would really, really appreciate some feedback on the episodes. You can reach me on my email, ns at 500.co. But I will only have access to it by the second week of July because I'll be doing my compulsory military service starting this week. As usual, you can reach us on our website, theglocal.co. You can reach me on Instagram at theglocalpodcast. And you can reach me on Twitter at nshuli. See you on the next episode. Glocal podcast on locally incubated global technology powerhouses.